was wrestling this week, should I pause and take a break from Ecclesiastes 4 and do a Thanksgiving message? Or should I carry on? And I thought, you know what, I'm going to keep on trucking through Ecclesiastes. And then even as I began to unpack it more and more, I began to realize that um, there are there are things in here that will, I think, help us celebrate Thanksgiving a little better. So bear with me, follow through, but let's take a look at God's book. Um, Ecclesiastes 4, let me pray first. Lord, I pray that you would teach us this morning, it wouldn't be me, that your spirit would be our guide, that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things in the text. And, and uh, Father, would you teach us how, not only not only uh, how to live, but would you point us to Jesus so that we'd be overwhelmed by your grace and, and, and that grace would motivate us to live. In your precious name we pray, amen. As I was looking at this passage over the course of this last week, I, I was somewhat bewildered. Maybe that's the best way to put it. Uh, it seemed to me that this passage was completely disconnected from anything else around it. Um, it seemed like Solomon just threw random thoughts on a page. Um, it seemed that he even threw difficult things on the page that are almost impossible for me to understand. And, and, and I was like, what am I going to do with this? Uh, things such as he, he talks about oppression, and then he talks about envy, and then he talks about two's better than one, and three's better than two, and then he talks about this king at the end, and then he makes this crazy, difficult statement, uh, it would be better if we hadn't even been born. And I looked at that and I go, well, how is this connected even to what we've been doing? And certainly, um, has this got any connection to Thanksgiving weekend? But then I began to notice something in our text. Look at verse 16 of chapter 3. We looked at this last week. But there's a little thing that says, moreover, I saw. Then look at chapter 4, verse 1. Again, I saw. Then look at verse 4 in chapter 4. Then I saw. And then take a look at verse 7. Again, I saw. And, and, and as I be, notice those expressions, I think what Solomon is doing is he's saying, I've, I've been looking at the world around me, And I've been observing some things, and, and I want to actually take an honest look at this world. I saw in verse 16 of last week, chapter 3, he saw injustice and, and unrighteousness. He saw wickedness in places of righteousness. That's what he was observing in the world around him. In chapter 4, verse 1, what does he see? He sees oppression. In chapter 4.4, 4, he, he sees the toil and the, and the skill and work, and he sees that it's just a striving after wind. He, lo he looks at envy. He sees that in the context of the world. In verse 7, he sees vanity under the sun, as he's been throughout the book. And, and, and I think what we have here is, the connection is quite simple. Solomon is going to speak to us some very harsh realities, and he wants us to wake us up. That's what he wants us to do. He, he's, going to take a, he's going to take a look at the world in a, in, a, in a way that is actually, I think, very rare in our context, but very honest. 
I, I, I think often we try to mask the truth around us. Let's begin in chapter 4, verse 1. Again, I saw, what does he see? He sees all the oppression. Oppression in Scripture, actually in the Old Testament, uh, actually prior to and then maybe somewhat just a little bit after Solomon, is found uh, all over the pages of the Old Testament. Oppression in Scripture is simply an accumulation without regard to the nature, needs, and rights of other people. Let me say that again. Oppression is the accumulation without regard to the nature, the needs, and the rights of others' people. And so in the Old Testament, oppression involves cheating one's neighbor of something. Leviticus chapter 6. It, it involves stealing. It involves retaining lost property that has been found, or it's, 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 it involves lying. It could be defrauding or robbing somebody. It, it involves unjust gain, including the profit made from interest on loans. It's the abuse of power in the Old Testament. We see that in Ezekiel uh, 22 and Amos chapter 4 and Micah 2. I'm not going to turn to these places. If you want to take a look at some of these, I'll give you these chapters later. But it's abuse of power, financial or otherwise. Perpetrated on those who are, 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 um, are vulnerable, such as poor, the poor, the widows, the orphans, the strangers, the aliens in our context. It's often associated with violence and bloodshed in the Old Testament and the denial of rights and justice. Jeremiah 22, Proverbs chapter 1. Oppression. And Solomon is saying, I saw oppression. I've been looking around and I've seen it. And and what does he actually see? He he goes on a little further and he says, and behold, he sees the tears of the oppressed. no one to comfort them he says i i think in our culture in our context maybe it maybe maybe it's just me cold callous elroy and there's some truth to that but i i think in our context we 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 fail to see the the heartache around us i think one of the one of the good things of part of my job is the opportunity to actually officiate funerals When I gather with the family and when I gather in that context and uh, I begin to see tears flowing uh, and, and I see grown men cry that usually won't because th- th- there's a pain there. And I think one of the things about funerals, I think it's good that, that we actually weep and cry and not just simply celebrate somebody's life is because we, we come to grips with the pain of the world around us. We were in Seattle a couple of weeks back, and, and uh, it actually struck me how many sleeping bags were under bridges, up against buildings. Uh, the homeless situation there just seemed uh, far more intense than in our context. Solomon says, I look around, I saw, I saw the oppression, but I saw the tears of those who were oppressed, and there's no one to comfort them. And then he does something f- actually quite remarkable in verse 3. He also sees something else. 
the, oppress, the, the oppressors. And he says there's no one to comfort them. And you think, well, who cares? Solomon does and the Lord does. And his point is they're, they're both in the same boat to a certain extent. But then, he, then, 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 then a little further on, what, what, what does he do? Verse 3, but better than both is, is he who has not yet been, bo- been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. I, I read verse 3 and I go, why in the world did you stick that there, Solomon? But better than both, better than the oppressor or the oppressed, is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Does Solomon not believe in the sovereignty of God, that God is in his, in his, in his sovereignty and his, uh, his power and all of his ability has actually ordained your birth date? I don't think that's what he's doing. I think he's just simply saying and admitting this is a broken, broken, broken world. I was trying to wrestle with this, and actually I think it was David Gibson that helped me. He, 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 David Gibson in his commentary on Ecclesiastes actually points us to the Gospel of Mark, and that's where I want to take you. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Mark, Mark chapter 7, and let's look at verse 31 and following. This is Jesus. Jesus, then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue, and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Epaphatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were open, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly, and Jesus charged, tell, tell them to, charge them to tell no one. Sorry, working with this tongue today. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all these things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Did you notice in verse 4? And looking up to heaven, this is Jesus, he sighed. Now, if you just look at the next chapter, chapter 8, verse 12 of Mark, you notice something else. This is Jesus, and he sighed deeply in his spirit, and he says, why does this generation seek a a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And there he's talking about the Pharisees, and he's looking at the hardness of their heart, and he sighs. So he sighs when he sees this this um, deaf man, and he sighs when he sees the hardness of the heart of this Pharisee. Now that word, he sighed, in the Greek, is the same word that we find in Romans chapter 8 that we've been looking at, that where it says all creation has been subjected to futility, and then it tells us that all creation groans. And here Jesus is, is looking at the, the oppression, the brokenness, the injustices, the, the hardships, the pain, the tears of the world around him, and even the hardness of the hearts of people. 
And what does he do? He groans. He sighs. Now, he's, he's, he's God. He steps in and does something. But he feels, he tastes, he understands, he grasps, he, he sees the pain of the world around. And I think what Solomon do, is doing in Ecclesiastes 4, he says, I saw the oppression, and I even see that no one is even comforting, comforting the oppressor. And, and it would have been better if nobody was born. He was just like, he's just groaning, he's grieving, he's, he's groaning with creation. Well, this is a broken world. Groaning with creation. I think we tend to mask the brokenness in the world so that we don't have to groan. Stampede week. Ten days of lots of fun in the city. Uh, this city makes a lot of money around Stampede. Uh, businesses do a lot of activities where they're 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 hobnobbing with each other and creating business over that course of those ten days. There's a lot of fun activities that go on, but in those ten days, there are women that are oppressed from all over the world that are brought here that common people like you and I, people that would be our neighbors, people that we would work with can oppress them. The, the, the sex slave trade in our city in those 10 days is deplorable, but it's hidden from us. We, 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 we don't want to hear about it. We, we hide it. We could go on. There's, there's so many other things we try to hide. We try to, we, but we, we don't want to groan with, with we don't want to see the tears. We don't want to face the pain. I, I think Ecclesiastes is just being really crazy honest. He's just simply saying, I saw. This is what I saw. And, and it, it seems to me it would be better if we weren't even born. Well, that's not all the Scripture says about that. But he goes on, verse Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 4. Then I saw that all the toil and all the skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. And I think what Solomon is doing here is he's, he's, he's actually connecting. He says the, the fuel that drives this oppression is actually envy. I think Solomon's looking in the mirror now. He's looking in the heart. They're speaking to every one of us. Again, listen to Gibson, what he says. Deep in our hearts, we want to be noticed and to be the focus of attention. And that desire is capable of driving all we do and the reason we do it. Jesus says, Jesus says, I am to love you. But what I often feel is, what will it take to get what you have? If I envy you through loving you because I love you only to get something from you, then not only am I engaged in oppressing you, I, I have a cancer that eats at my own heart and destroys me even as I destroy you. 
This is because I have dressed up my selfishness and generosity and deceived both of us in the process. Did you hear that? Uh, we, 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 we sometimes we look across the table and we go, man, I wish I had that. Or we, we covet, like the 10th commandment tells us not to covet. And, and we might even dress it up like we're being generous or kind or being loving. And what does Jesus call us to do? He calls us to love one another. How did Jesus do that? He, 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 he steps out of heaven. He gives of himself at great cost. And he loves us. Now, sometimes our response in envy, and as we envy the people around us, what do we do? We might fold our hands and become lazy. Well, I can't have it anyway, so I'll just give up. Or, or we might strive like crazy, which is a chasing after the wind. And I think our author simply says in verse 6, better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after the wind. It's better just to be content with what we have. Then verse 7, another I saw. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no... No other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is a vanity and an unhappy business. And, and there he's, he's focusing on the individual who's, who's striving to get, to get, to get, to get, and gain, 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 gain. And again, as he's been saying throughout, that there's, this, is, this is emptiness. And he actually paints a picture that this individual ends up lonely. Empty. Back when um, we were down in Virginia going to school, Lynn was pregnant with our oldest, Caleb, and we were living on the third floor of an apartment complex. We were eight hours from her family and, and a million hours from my family here in Alberta. We were a long ways away. Lynn gets off summer vacation and just, she's, she's just like really sad and she wishes she was at home so she could share this pregnancy with her mom and particularly her mom but with her family. And of course we weren't anywhere close to it, home and, and she was quite down and discouraged about this. And, and then I, I was struck by what she said and what she did she said you know what when I'm down and discouraged what I need to do is is not focus on myself I need to focus on others that showed incredible um, I think in my mind uh, maturity for a young lady at that time and so she began to pray Lord open my eyes to see who I can love and reach out to be a friend with and lo and behold, that was, uh, I think it was like literally the next day or a couple of days later, we were coming home from church. We pulled up in the same place we always do it in our in apartment complex. And we go up the stairs and, and, and this elderly lady pops out. She had moved into that apartment. We had not yet met her, but not that long before this. And she pops out and, and she says, 
uh, she'd been watching us, so she trusted us. She says, well, these are church people, so I can trust them. So she opens the door and says, there's something wrong in my apartment. Could you come and help? And so I said, sure. Something, something's making this awful sound. And, and so, so I came in, and we looked around, and, well, it was her smoke detector. The battery was dead, and it was beeping. And so I said, oh, it's just your battery. And she goes, oh, okay. Well, I said, well, I've got one of these. I'll grab a battery in, in our place. And Lynn st- stayed behind and visited. And, and I went and grabbed a 9-volt battery, stuck it in. No big deal, right? It stopped. She was so happy. She was worried over for, for some time about this beeping sound that she heard. And, but what was fascinating was out of that, Lynn, it's like her eyes are open, and this is the person that I need to reach out to over the summer. And so Lynn would have her for coffee, and she would go over to her place for coffee over those, I think, two months during the summer vacation. Lynn was teaching school. And, and they developed this beautiful relationship. Her name is Mildred. And, and, and Mildred um, um, not only became a friend, but actually, um, I think, gave more to us than we or Lynn ever gave to her. You see, when Caleb was born that November, Mildred was right there, and Lynn was a first-time mom, and she didn't know what to do, and her mom was eight hours away, and, and so Lynn would do things like that she still laughs at, but she goes, she said, I want to take a shower, and I don't know what to do with my baby. And so she would call Mildred, and Mildred says, Ah, don't, in her, in her southern accent, Oh, don't worry about it, honey, I'll come on over. And Mildred became an incredible blessing to us. It was about six months later that Mildred died of cancer. And we had the privilege not only t- to um, get to know her family and officiate that funeral, but we had the privilege to lead her to Jesus. But the point is, when we love others rather than seeing what we can get from others, what happens? Verse 9. Look at verse 9. You see how it's connected? Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. It's so different than one who's striving after gain. That's vanity, that's futile, that's empty, that's worthless. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For, for if they fall, so they will fall, there's one there to lift them up. Again, two are, are better than one because one, if it's cold, it's going to be cold, they'll keep warm. Verse 12, and, and though a man might prevail, there's going to be war, there's going to be somebody against you. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, Two will withstand him, and three, a threefold cord, is not quickly broken. In, in Ecclesiastes, as he begins just to see, and he begins to see the oppression, and he begins to see the oppressor, and he goes, neither of them are in a good place. He goes, he, he begins to unpack something very different, and he, and he talks about rather than envy and being content and And as Jesus says, love one another. Actually, the Old Testament said that. Jesus was just copying and repeating what God had said in Deuteronomy 6. The sum of the law is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
one more difficult thing is verses 13 to 16. As you begin to read that, you kind of go, okay, how is this connected? And why does he start talking about this king? And who is this king? And the truth is, it's a difficult passage to verses 13 through 16 to translate. We, 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 different scholars are saying different things. They're not sure if it's Solomon talking about himself or if, or if he's just making a, a, a statement on life itself. But it, it seems to, to me that what he's simply saying is there's, there, the difference between a king Who's, who's foolish and old and takes no advice, he's in a worse spot than somebody who's poor and with others. I'll just leave it with like that. But I think if Solomon's just making a statement in life, point about life, he's just, he sees life and he goes, this, this is what I see. This is what I see. Can I ask you a question? Who are the we's whom you could start to think about more in the world around you? Wade and Sonia, you guys are going to be heading off to, to a whole different land. Everything's going to be new, but the challenge is who, who, who are the we's that you can reach out to and love and care for while you're there? That's, that's the truth for all of us. encourage you to take some time to list some practical differences it might help might make to to develop a relationship with some of these we's for some of you are introverts i get that and it's going to be hard to just actually step out of your comfort zone and 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 love those around you but verses 9 through 12 is true for an introvert and an extrovert two is better than one for some of us extroverts the challenge for us is not to, to, to look at other individuals and see it's something that I can get from them. Because we love to be around people, and, it, and, and it, it breathes life into us. And so people actually, and it can be so easily that we actually want to use people. And for us extroverts, how can we actually breathe life into them? What can we give? What can we share? And then think about Jesus. I want to close with Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 to 28. Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of of the Gentiles lorded over them, and, and, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Yesterday we, we were in Vauxhall to see my family, some of my family, my dad. Um, my dad's 87 years old, and his life has been full and rich. Not necessarily rich because of money. Uh, he's... A, he, I hope he doesn't listen to this. He's not a really good businessman. He's not out to make something. He's, he's seeking to give, give away things. Dad and my mom, they adopted six children. Um, not, as I often joke, because they looked at me and go, we can do better if we pick them ourselves. But, but because they wanted to give. 
The youngest of them were fetal alcohol. The time and the energy, the toil, the, the falling that they, they, that they watched and the, the pain that they watched, the tears that they witnessed because somebody else had done something that actually caused them a life of difficulty. But my dad and mom said, we're going to love these children. We're going to give ourselves away. And, and quite frankly, often I wondered if they re- received any reward for what they did. It was hard work. It was intense. Uh, when they were in their golden years, they didn't travel. They didn't go places. They stayed home because they were raising little ones. Yesterday, my dad's sitting in his chair, and there's a joy in his eyes and a smile on his face because his family is around him. A family that is there around him because he loved us. We want to love him. We want to be with him. Matt Chandler said this statement he says i've never i've never counseled a young girl who's grieving and saying oh i just hate my dad because he pulled up to the to the the schoolyard in a, a in a junker of a truck and i was so embarrassed however he says i've i've counseled a lot of young girls who say i hate my dad He pulled up with a $60,000 car, but he had no time for me. I read Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and and I think what, what makes us, what makes thanksgivings actually truly great is when we're a people who give ourselves away, when we love our neighbor as ourselves, and, and we bear the riches of and the wealth of we love our neighbor, we love ourselves. But when we love ourselves or hate our neighbor, we, we actually hate ourselves. That's what, that's what Solomon's teaching us. And Jesus, he shows us the way by, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. As Jesus was about to go to the cross, he gives his life so that we might have life. That's astounding. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and the work that he has done, I encourage you to come and pause and remember and thank him for what he's done for you. But don't just come and go, Lord, this is what you've done for us. Pause and think, okay, God, this is what you've done for us. How can I give myself away? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the love that you've shown us. Help us to love back. Would you take the blinders off our eyes and see the tears in those who are oppressed, even in this room? Lord, would you, would, you, would, you, would you help to remove the covetousness, the envy from our hearts and help us to be a people who love our neighbor as ourselves for no other reason than just simply to give. And Lord, may we do that out of what you've given us, your son Jesus. In your precious name we pray, amen.